And we're back. Another episode, Riding the Pine with the Lefty and the Coach. A beautiful Sunday night here in Dallas, and I'm being completely facetious when I say that because it literally is the hailing the size of golf balls in certain places. But <laughs> we shall persevere on. This may be the only podcast stopped by active tornado warning. So, hey, this could get interesting tonight. Uh, tonight on the show, talking about the Super Regionals in college baseball, the NBA Finals and how they probably are over. The top 25 preview of the week, the fight on USC Trojans. And then our top 10 list of the night, the top 10 NBA Finals performances, since we might as well do it tonight because we may not have another chance to do it. But to start off the show tonight, I've been watching the entire weekend, really, the college baseball Super Regionals and been good baseball. I've seen a lot of stuff with people that have said, you know, oh, this atmosphere is great, and you've seen the tweets from whether it's Florida or TCU or Southern Miss and saying all these great attendance records, and I'm looking at them, and, and man, those are awesome records. And then I remember that Mississippi State has the on-campus record of 16,723, which they set this year against their rival Ole Miss. Those were the 11 and 12th ranked teams in the conference in a throwaway series in April. I say all that to say this, college baseball is better when Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and LSU are all good, when they're all hosting regionals, when they're all hosting super regions. I mean, you've seen it at LSU the last two nights as they literally five minutes ago just clinched their uh, 17th trip to Omaha. But, you know, those are the top four fan bases in, in college baseball, and I don't really think it's close. I'm probably biased to say that Mississippi State is the best in college baseball. I, you know, I, you can – people can debate that. I don't think you can put LSU on that list because I think LSU fans are so different. I mean, they are, they're a different breed in every way, shape, form, and accents. You can't understand anything they're saying. But I just – it just seems like college baseball is better and more eyes on it when those teams are good. I would say so. I would say when it comes to, like, getting over, you know, probably 12,000 fans, I would say that, what, Ole Miss, LSU, and State. And Arkansas. And Arkansas are consistently doing that in the SEC. Um, I know Tennessee, they're renovating their baseball facility, but – they really only, I think, bring in maybe five or six thousand in their in their games as well. So, but I would I would tend to agree that, you know, super regionals and Startwell, super regionals in Oxford, um, super regionals obviously in LSU and Arkansas. Those are, I mean, those atmospheres are are big time places to go watch games for sure. And we've both experienced a couple of those in our lifetime, but. Um, I guess I would just say that baseball, I will say maybe baseball is in a good place that there's so many programs that are competitive now. You know, that's just kind of how things are. You have a team like Wake Forest, who I don't even know how to baseball field, a, a, a full baseball field maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago. And now they're the number one seed playing in Omaha and scoring 22 runs on an SEC team. So well. I think baseball all kind of like basketball there's a lot of good teams out there let's back up on calling whatever they play on a baseball field because I don't know I don't know what that thing is but 
please get a real field Wake Forest. If you're gonna be the number one overall seed, put grass somewhere on your field. Yeah, it was hard. It, to be honest, it was hard to watch. It was awful. The uh, wow. the warning track color was kind of it just was hard to even you know it's just the 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 way it looked on the screen just wasn't clear and wasn't good you know. So question. I was trying to decipher this. Are the base paths the quote unquote dirt? Is that gold? Yeah, the okay. Wake Forest gold. <laughs> yeah. Cause their gold's like a light gold. Yeah, it looks terrible. It looks absolutely awful. But you know, I, I really do believe that. And by the way, folks, if you've never been to one of those four atmospheres, go. Cause it's truly it, there aren't atmospheres like that in baseball until yeah. you get to the pro level. And even at the pro level, until you get to the playoffs, there are no atmospheres like those four places. And yeah. they do it. Those four places are special in their own right. Obviously, Mississippi State having probably the most renowned outfield area in, in baseball, period, with the left field lounge. Arkansas has the hog pen, and then Ole Miss has obviously the students in right field, and then they have, you know, tailgating in left field as well with the tiers and the uh, grills. And then LSU is, uh, well, they have bourbon everywhere. I don't know what, I don't have any grills anywhere, but they have bourbon everywhere. And whether that was brought in or not, I, you know, hey, not, not me to say. Well, I would say, you know, the only really compare – maybe compare – like atmosphere that you can compare those two in the ACC would maybe be Clemson. Um, yeah, yeah, I could I, – and um, I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Clemson's atmosphere. Just I, – I know it from seeing it on TV, obviously, but it uh, it looked okay. It looked right. It looked decent. And then in the Big 12 – even Texas doesn't really have – you would be – you're kind of surprised at just their, you know, kind of their baseball stadium. Um, you would think that just the renowned program they have, that they would, you know, have a bigger, nicer stadium, you know. Texas A&M puts their stadium, you know. Shame. Yeah, it really does because Texas A&M has a huge baseball facility as well. Yeah, and I think – I've seen it here the last few weeks, whether it be it – you know, Southern Miss has tried to kind of copy it a little bit. Um, I saw TCU had a bunch of people in the outfield. Um, so, you know, I think people and teams are starting to warm up to having people in the outfield, having right. a bunch of people in the outfield. And that's good to see. I think it adds to the, adds to the you know, feel and the atmosphere of the stadium. But, again, oh. there's what those teams are doing, and then there's what – LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. Because, I mean, they're just on another level from everybody else. I mean, I heard it – I think I saw it on Twitter earlier that TCU last night had like 8,700, and it was the largest ever crowd in college baseball outside of the SEC West. Really? Which is great wasn't until you realize – in Indiana? Wasn't that series in Indiana? Yeah, the Indiana State Series. Yeah. Which well, you, well, you were talking about a series that TCU had this year. No, like that that attendance last night, the eighty-seven was the largest ever attended college baseball game outside of the SEC West. Oh, okay, dang. 
which is great until you realize that the SEC West is averaging 4,000 right. more than that per game. Right. And look how many teams – I mean, unfortunately, the two the two last national championship teams were the two teams that weren't in the SEC uh, – or in the uh, NCAA tournament this year. Well, they weren't in the SEC tournament either. And they would have combined uh, a what? Close to 30,000 attendance in the regional per game. Having yeah. about, I think Ole Miss holds about 13, 14, state holding about 15, 16. So, yeah. Comfort, I mean, comfortably, Mississippi State holds 13, 5 to 14. Ole Miss probably comfortably, hold, comfortably holds between 12 and 13. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there would be fourteen or fifteen in start one. There'd be thirteen or fourteen in Oxford. So I mean, yeah, you're looking anywhere between twenty six and twenty seven thousand between the two schools per game. So just, I mean, it's on another level. It's like we said, it's on another level. And I really think it would be great because you know you see how college baseball is really, really kind of you know center stage this weekend, and it would be great to see those four three of those four programs in this situation, obviously LSU in this situation. But uh, regardless. Absolutely. What are kind of your thoughts from the Super Regionals from what you've been able to see? Really, to be honest, I know uh, it hasn't maybe been the most watched series. We talked a little bit about it, but just Wake Forest. Um, maybe they are for real. You know, I kind of I kind of wasn't really maybe believing in their number one seed, but to show up on uh, today and beat Alabama by 17 runs and put 22 runs on a, on anybody. I mean, their bats are rolling for sure. Um, I think we talked about this earlier. I think LSU, I was expecting a closer series just based on what Kentucky actually did with them this year in Baton Rouge as well. Um, but their bats are rolling. Uh and the other series that really caught my eye was Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts was up eight to nothing in the third inning on Friday night. Oregon comes back and wins on a walk-off 9-8. And Oral Roberts had the ability on the road to come back and win two games in a row. So yeah, and, and head oh, to Omaha. And head, uh, that, and that, hey, look, that's a good program right there. That's yeah, a team that are. I don't think has lost but like two games since April. I mean, one in 12 right now. Yeah, I mean, if people want to talk about a team that, you know, they kind of got the the mojo and the magic going into Omaha, I think it's that team out of uh, out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Absolutely. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, – I think um, there's a lot of – you know, it's kind of amazing. There's a lot of teams that have really started to peak at the right time. Uh, Tennessee, Southern Miss. Oral Roberts being one of those teams, um, and uh, Virginia. Virginia really got the bats going. The last two games scored 26 runs in two games, scored 14 the other day, one by 10, scored 12 today, one by 10 against Duke. After giving up a lead, which they had, they had only lost two. There, they they had only lost two games in their whole career at home, or one game their whole career at home in Charlottesville, Virginia, but they gave up it if they were winning past the seventh inning. And Duke got two runs in, I think, the I think the top of the seventh to go up 5-4 and ended up winning that game on Friday, the first one of the Super Regional. 
And what a game that was at the end. I mean, the guy thought he had a homer and then just gets robbed at the kind of robbed at the wall. But yeah, a little a little leap. And that ball was probably gonna hit the top of the wall or maybe sneak out potentially. Well, it at least ties it because the guy they got on second. So it at worst it ties the ball and it probably wins it. But right. I, I agree. I think Virginia's playing really good. TCU is playing out of their minds right now. Uh, you know, that's that's a team that's dangerous. I still think Florida would probably be my pick right now. I think, you know, Heston Waldrop's pitching very, very well. You know, Caglione and uh, Ryapel, they're hitting extremely well. But, again, you know, with Omaha, it's all about what ways the wind's blowing out there. You know, last year the wind blew out more than it ever had. You know, a lot of homers, but there have been years where there were almost none. So you look at a team like Wake Forest, who they hit a lot of homers. Yeah. That would concern me, especially since they've never played in that environment. They're going to be jazzed up and ready to go. It would concern me that they're going to try to be swinging for the fences. And if the wind's blowing in out there, you're just going to pop out a bunch. Um. I, I go towards those teams that have had coaches that have been there before. So teams like Florida with Kevin O'Sullivan or, you know, Jay Johnson has not been there with LSU, but he's been to Omaha. So, yeah. you know, LSU's a dangerous team. I, I, I still think they can be there at the end of the day. Tennessee is a weird team to figure out right now. They look great in spurts and they look awful in spurts. I, I do still think they're going to win tomorrow. I don't think Southern Miss has any pitching left. But, again, weirder things have happened. Wake Forest hit nine home runs today. And I need to look up. They have a lot of lefties, you know, right field. I know potentially right field has kind of been your home run spot for uh, a lot of lefties in Omaha. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think pitching wins in Omaha. I think, um, you know, it's a – I think it's a pitcher's ballpark. Don't you think, Rob, in Absolutely. Omaha? Absolutely. Um, just center field so deep. If you have a rangy center fielder that can get to some balls, they can save you a couple runs out there. So I think this might be the most open College World Series that we've had in a while on just not really knowing who has the upper hand. Um, I guess I just haven't been able to watch a lot of these ACC teams throughout the season. Um, obviously have more access to the SEC teams. I'm still going with LSU being the favorite just because of their hitting. I know you're going with Florida, but uh, it's, I think it's pretty wide open at this point. I think it's all about the matchups, who people get lined up with. I agree 100%. I think right now it's going to completely be matchups. And I'm going to tell you, if Tennessee pulls it off tomorrow and we get Chase Dolander versus Paul Skeens Friday night in Omaha, I mean, I'll tell you, you're talking appointment viewing. That's going to be two top ten arms facing off with also the guy who's probably going to go 1-1 in the draft in Dylan Cruz as well playing. So, I mean, right. that would be absolute appointment viewing. And, I mean, I think you'd be looking at something like a 2-1, nothing type game winning that. But, you know, I, I would say – You all know how important that first win is in Omaha. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, and especially if you're LSU, if you happen to lose, you're done. You don't have the pitching to come out of the loser's bracket. I think Tennessee teams like Tennessee and Florida, I think they've got a little bit more pitching to be able to swing that. But there are teams that, man, if you 
they just, if you don't have a pitching, you're not winning, period. Right. And it's like you said, pitching wins in this tournament, as we've seen the last two years with Mississippi State and Will Bednar and Landon Sims, and then Ole Miss last year with Dylan DeLucia and Hunter Elliott and Josh Mallets, you know, right. just absolutely getting, you know, just nuclear in Omaha. And so you can say it as much as you want that the hitters, the hitters can win you games and hit you back in, but at the end of the day out there, it's all about pitching. And I think people, just the average fan, doesn't really understand um, the philosophy and the plan, you know, the uh, uh, kind of the game plans that you that a lot of these coaches have to make big decisions on, you know, because um, you take a risk. A lot of guys throw the, maybe their number two, number three guy in that first game to try to save their number one for game two um, to get them in that semifinal, um, you know, kind of game three matchup. Um, so it's just a lot of a lot of big decisions that these uh, managers and coaches have to make. It is, and you know, it's those are tough decisions, and you will be second guess for the rest of your life if you if you miss it. So, again, going to be a very very interesting uh, next few weeks or next week or so out in Omaha. We'll see what happens. Yep, you're still going with Florida. I'm still going with uh, LSU. And what were what how are we how do we do on our picks? Um, I know. Let's see. We I know we hit LSU. We hit Florida. I think we both took Oral Roberts. I think we both pulled. We, we, we did. We did. And then I uh, I know my big one was I picked Alabama over Wake Forest, and I think that yeah, twenty two run game today just kind of put that one right back in my face a little bit. I think the <laughs> nine only- home runs in a game. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only one I've missed, I well, I I know I picked Stanford, so I think you picked Texas. I picked so Texas. That, that uh, that could be the only one I missed. I think I've actually hit every other one. Texas holds one lead right now in the top of the yeah. fourth game two, so we might potentially. We're looking at one game tomorrow, right? With uh, with Tech Tennessee and Southern, and the right only- now, yeah, right now it's one game tomorrow. It would only be Tennessee and Southern. Obviously, if Stanford was to come back and win tonight, it would be Texas Stanford tomorrow, as well as uh, Southern and Tennessee. And if Stanford keeps making base running errors like that, Tennessee or it looks like Texas is gonna maybe come out on top. Yeah, I don't really understand what that guy was doing right there. I mean, that's like the the one of the golden rules of base running. Make sure the ball doesn't get – if you're at second and the ball's hit to shortstop, don't go to third. Right. The ball's hit in front of you. Stay where you are. Correct. That, but, you know, it's – Maybe it's they, maybe, I think, maybe they I learned think, differently out west. I don't know. <laughs> but I think the College World Series, uh, obviously you and I both big baseball fans – I think it helps living in SEC country a little bit, but um, College World Series is definitely a great atmosphere and definitely on my bucket list for sure. Um, have you been before? Yeah, I've been. I guess I've been four times. So, uh, yeah, I've been a bunch. That's awesome. Did you go the year y'all won the national championship? No, I was actually not there the year we won the national championship. I was, but I was there in uh, 07, 13, 18, and 19. Okay. 
13, y'all played UCLA, right, in the championship? Yeah, I was out there for the first two games. We played Oregon State and Indiana, and then I went back for the uh, championship against UCLA. Did you drive out there? Oh, yeah, both times. I almost got hit by a tornado somewhere in Columbia, Missouri. It was awful. Oh, my goodness. By yourself? Or did you drive? No, not a group of buddies. We all went out there both times. Dang. That's crazy. It's far. It's it's every bit of 14 hours. Ooh. We left start we left Starkville. Was it the first time we left Senatobia at noon and got like 30 minutes outside of Omaha at like one in the morning? And then the second time we left Starkville at 7 30 a.m. And I think we got to Omaha at like eight. PM. Oh my goodness. That's a long, that's a long day. You're talking, there's you think you, the delta in Mississippi is flat and there's nothing out there. No, get over Kansas. You can I, I vividly remember standing on top. There's a gas station on top of a hill, and we were standing on top of a hill, and I literally made the comment. I said, I think I can see the end of the world, like right over there. Like there is just not like you're just gonna. You feel like that we're just gonna go off the bottom of the earth or something. It was, I mean, you talking nothing for for tens of miles. That's awesome. That's awesome. You've been out there for that experience. I definitely need to get out there one year for sure. That's the, it's still one of the best weekends. the The first weekend in Omaha is one of the most fun weekends because all eight teams are out there. Man, it's, it's awesome. So you've experienced, just think, you've experienced a college basketball final and a college baseball final. Yep. You just got to complete the trifecta and get you get you to a, a, a playoff final. Well, see, that's the thing. I'll never go to a national championship. In, I, I Actually, I said I'd never go to a national championship in any sport if Mississippi State wasn't playing in it, but I broke it this year at the Final Four. And so, but football is the one I probably won't ever break. Unless Mississippi State's in it, I probably won't ever go to a national championship. I have been to a playoff semifinal. I've not been to a national championship, though. I was at the Cotton Bowl uh, two years ago when Alabama and Cincinnati played. Okay. That was actually, I mean, for what it's worth, it was was a close game in the first half. It it wasn't a bad game. Um, it It was a lot more interesting than the other playoff game that night. But uh, that's fun. That's fun. So it's going to be you. Um, I guess our listeners they can be looking forward to watching College World Series starting probably Friday at six p.m. Does that sound right? First game. Yeah, I think it's Friday. Friday. Yeah, it'll be Friday at two, I believe. So I think I one Central Time, two Eastern. Well, yeah. Normally they're normally they have like a two p.m. start and then like a six thirty start maybe. I remember the year – I remember in 2018 we played and I think it rained or something before. We ended up – I know we didn't end up starting until like 9.30 out there. And also, by the way, if you've never been out there, it does not get dark till like 9.45, almost 10 o'clock out there because you're actually – What would you say? One in 2018 again. Oregon State, we lost to them in the semi. We actually – they got beat by North Carolina. 
We beat Washington on a walk-off. And then that, the year, that was the year they played Arkansas, right? Yeah, that was the year of the drop. Yeah. The dropped, uh, pop fly by Carson Chatty. Yeah. yeah. Man. Uh, yeah, that was that was a fun year. What year did Southern Miss make it out there? Oh, nine. Okay, that's right. The I they, 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 out there one time. Yeah, they went out – they beat Florida at Florida in the Super Regional and got there because it was – so because that was the parallels everybody was making because Southern made it in Corky Palmer's last year. Now everybody thinks they're going to make it in Scott Berry's last year. That's Tomorrow's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a good game, I believe. But I, I do think Tennessee wins. Okay. So you're going with Tennessee making it. I am. I am. So we will switch gears just a little bit now to the NBA Finals. Uh, <laughs> well, a little one, one of us said 3-1, so we were partially right on that. We thought it'd be 3-1 Miami, not 3-1 Denver. Uh, what a What a just a momentum shift just – out of nowhere, I think Mike Malone, I will say, I think he knew how to push his team's button in the right way. A lot of people were saying he shouldn't have called his team out like he did, but he knew exactly what he was doing when he called out their effort and showed them the 17 clips and a clip for each player on what they did wrong. Um, I think that was a big-time coaching move by him. Well, and, you know, you and I have talked about it before, that – you know, this Nuggets team is not like a lot of NBA teams. They're they're kind of throwback in the way. So I think you can coach them a little bit differently than you can coach a, an average NBA team today. I think they're a little bit more hard-nosed, blue-collar workers. You know, they're just going to go out there and do their job type guys. And so I think he knew he could push his team's buttons in that way. But the way he pushed them was perfect. You look at what they were able to get defensively these last two games. I mean, they have – the one thing we said all playoffs was Miami's role players, the Gabe Vincents, the Max Struess, the Caleb Martins, the Kyle Lowry's, the Kevin Loves, they or Duncan Robinson's, have been, they've been able to step up, step up, step up. My, uh, Denver's just completely taken them out of the game. Like, they've right. completely shut them down. Yeah, so obviously my big – um, takeaways leading up into the series was Miami had to hit more than 15 threes to have a chance to win. The one game they did win, they hit 17. Um, and they were, I think, 17 of four. I mean, I think they were 50%. 17 they were. 30. Um, and then they held Murray under 20 in that game. So I was saying, there's kind of your blueprint. Over 15 threes. Key in on Jamal Murray, hold him under fifth or hold on, hold him under 20. Well, they did that Friday night in game four in Miami. They held him to five of 17, 15 points. But then you had a guy like Bruce Brown, and then you have a guy like Aaron Gordon make up that slack. You know what I mean? You you have Bruce Brown go for 21. And that was, and then Aaron Gordon was just unconscious in that second and third quarter and just making backwards alley-oop plays and just making uh, swishing threes in the corner. And they just could, they just didn't have an answer for them. And I, I want to say tomorrow night, I, I would love to see just for the series and for us bas- basketball fans, 
I kind of want to see Miami win just to keep this thing going, but I got to go with Denver. You know, I, I picked Denver in seven. Looks like Denver is going to win in five. I still think if it's going to be a group that's that that has a chance to come back from down 3-1, not necessarily win the series, but make it a series, I believe it's this Miami team because they've just shown this resolve and resilience the entire playoffs that it doesn't matter. Their backs are against the wall. They don't care. They just go win. I mean, they, you know, they win three games in Milwaukee in game in the first round. Yep. They win a game seven on the road in the conference finals when nobody gave them a chance. So if it's going to be a team to do it, it's this team. And we have seen time and time again what Jimmy Butler has done with his back against the wall in playoff games. Go back right. to the 2020 bubble finals, what he did in game three and game five in that series to keep Miami in it. I mean, it was just incredible. And I, you know, we hadn't seen that type of performance from Jimmy Butler these playoffs, and I think we're going to see it tomorrow night. I think he's going to be unleashed. I don't think – I just don't see any way he goes for anything less than 35 tomorrow night. And and I'll be honest, I'm picking Miami tomorrow night. I think Miami forces game six. This thing gets back to Miami. And, hey, look, at that point, you win at home, you force game seven, and anything can happen in a game seven. Um you know, again, I still do think – I've said Denver in six the entire time. I'm sticking with that pick, but I do think Miami wins tomorrow night. Yeah. What's up with Gabe Vincent, 19 minutes, Mac, uh, Max Struss, 19 minutes in game four? I understand maybe Struss more. You know, he came out 0 for 4, 0 for 3 from the uh, three-point line. But Gabe Vincent – Well – stands. Um you know, maybe you got, I think he's kind of the X factor right now. Definitely in that Boston series, he has some big games. Um, well, he had the big games, uh, game seven, right? No, that was Caleb Martin. Uh, Gabe oh, Benson had a good game seven, but yeah, Caleb Martin yeah. had a great game. But game, game two of this series, Gabe Benson has 26 or 23. Right. That's what I I'm saying. That was interesting that he only played 19 minutes the other day. Well, I think you and I may have been texting about it uh, Friday night. I, I think the reason he's not playing is because of, and this is what I saw at least, that it seemed like Kyle Lowry be, was willing to push the ball, push the ball, get out and transition, and Gabe Vincent just was not doing that. And right now I think that's the only way the Heat can kind of attack they, they see that as one of their best ways to attack Denver is being able to get out and transition and run and not let Denver get back there and set up. You're right. Because we've kind of decided that the best way Miami has to win is getting out in transition transition and run, you know, getting their running game going. Because in the half court, in the half court, the execution of Denver and just the presence of Jokic, like we're talking about at that elbow and that low block, you just haven't – they haven't had an answer for that. No. And, again, look, if Aaron Gordon and KCP and Bruce Brown play the way they did Friday night, if Jimmy Butler can have 60 and it's not going to matter. 
because that if your role players are playing like that, then it just doesn't matter. And look, we talked about it all. We've talked about it all playoffs. These role players are the reason these teams are winning. You can go all the way back to L.A., Memphis, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves. Yep. You can go to last the last series of Boston, Miami, Caleb Martin, Gabe Benson, Max Struess. You can go to – you can pick a series. It doesn't matter. Find one, and the role players have been the deciding factor in those games. The late, you go to the Lakers-Warriors, Lonnie Walker. And yep. right now, the role players for the Warriors are playing better. And so the Warriors are – or not the Warriors, I'm sorry. I've been used to saying that for six years, so you'll have to forgive me just a little bit. But the Nuggets' role players are playing better. And so they're, they're up 3-1. For sure. But I like how you said the role, you know, I would would you say Aaron Gordon's kind of still more of a I mean, I would say he's kind of the third tier. I'd say kind of the would you say who's who's more of a I would say I guess Michael Porter Jr. would be more of a role player than Aaron Gordon, you know? Yeah, I guess you could look at at Gordon as like a a, a poor man's Chris Bosch. If you're trying to create a big three, probably a Poor man's Chris Bosch. I don't. He's not at that level, obviously. But you know, he he could be he could be a number two on a lot of teams. Yeah. It's like a smaller Kevin Garnett. You know. Yeah, in a way. In a way, yeah. Garnett moved a little bit better. But uh, it's you know it's just amazing just. Miami's just, you know, it's just been weird just to see how they performed at home. It's like they just haven't had that that play that's gotten them maybe over the hump and gotten the crowd into it. You know, they just they haven't looked like themselves. They didn't play with that same I feel like intensity that they played with in game two. Cause game three, they got out rebounded, you know, tremendously. And it just, you know, they just have they, their 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 second half performance just has not been there. It hasn't been good enough for them to win. Not at all, no. But what is your prediction for tomorrow night? I'm going to go Denver. I'm going to go Denver winning. I'm going to go – I think the score might be a little more low scoring. So, I'm going to go – I'm going to go maybe 103-92 final. You got Denver 103-92? Denver winning 103-92. All right, I'm going to go 106-101 Miami. Okay. So now on to our one of our favorite tried and true segments, the top 25 preview of the, of the week. It will be the fight on USC Trojans and led by high, defending Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley now in his – Second season at USC. Um, you know, I think they're a team, you know, they're, they're kind of the wild card in a way that, you know, they obviously they had the world at their fingertips last year sitting in the playoffs. They were, you know, or they were sitting pretty for the playoffs. All they had to do was beat Utah, a team they were he- not heavily favored, but favored against. And Really just fell flat in the second half of that Pac-12 championship. So, looking to get back to the uh, playoff this year. Um, 
I mean, I got them. Their first three games were San Jose State, Nevada, and Stanford. I don't think they're tested in any of those games, so I got them three and zero. Is Notre Dame their big um, non-conference, their biggest non-conference this year? Yeah, they got Notre Dame week eight because week four they got a bye. Then they go to Arizona State, to Colorado, and as much as I love – Coach Prime will have that hyped up. I bet you game day will be there. Colorado will probably be like two and three at that point. But they're, they're going to lose. And then Arizona and the Coliseum. So that gets them to six and zero, oh, And then they go to Notre Dame. This is the game I, I would probably circle if I'm a USC fan is if we can get by this one, you know, we set ourselves up pretty good because we got Utah the next week, but it's at home. So probably think you're going to get that one. That'll probably be game day as well. Uh, then at California, Washington at home, at Oregon, and then UCLA to end the season. But we'll go back to that Notre Dame game. That's going to be a tough game. Notre Dame's going to be ready to play. You know, Notre yeah. Dame is a lot of people's, you know, they're always going to be the trendy pick. If they can kind of get there, they got a shot at the playoffs. I, I think they're I, better at the quarterback position than they have been. Yeah, absolutely. Sam Hartman coming in there. And, and we'll preview them in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, Marcus Freeman did a pretty good job last year. I had some definite bumps in the road early, but really seemed to right the ship and got things uh, rode in the right direction. And then obviously the huge, huge addition of Sam Hartman to that offense. I want to pick Notre Dame here and go the upset, but I, you know, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, I believe he'll have his team ready to play. I, I do. I believe he'll have them ready to play. I don't know what Notre Dame can do to stop Caleb Williams because they could do next to nothing last year to stop him. And obviously they'd be able to score a little bit better, but that didn't help you stop in Caleb Williams. So for that reason, I am taking still uh, USC in that game. Yeah, I think I think SEC – or sorry, SEC. I think USC has a very favorable schedule this year with their home games. UCLA at home, Washington at home, Utah at home. Um, and Arizona at home and Stanford in the in their Pac-12 games. I'm going to pick USC to go 11 and one this year. Yeah, I lean that way too because I think even if they get by Notre Dame, I don't think they get through both Utah and at Oregon. I think they lose one of those games. Look, I can see them losing both of them, but I with one of them being at home, I'd probably hedge my bets and say they're going 11 and one. Um, and they'll either get Utah or um, Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. I'd I have to see how they look. I'm not going to call that one right now. You know, with others, I kind of can make that call a little bit, but right, I, I can't make that call for them right now to see who they would get in the Pac-12 championship because obviously those teams are just completely, completely different animals. Obviously, at Oregon, you have Bo Nix who looks like a completely different quarterback. He actually looks like a quarterback at Oregon. And then, obviously, at Utah, you've got that spread option, spread power option. Uh, I don't know who their quarterback will be this year. I know it was Cam Rising last year. I don't know if he's still there. They had a backup that played one game that I think – did they actually beat USC with the backup? No, they had to play the backup in the Rose Bowl. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah. Cam Rising is back at Utah. Okay. So Utah returns a senior a senior quarterback. Oregon returns a senior quarterback. Um, look, the Pac-12 championship would be tough. So right now I'm going to say 11-1 and one with TBD on the uh, Pac-12 championship. Yeah. If you're going to beat USC this year, you're going to have to outscore them. Um, I don't know how good their defense will be. Um, that's one thing I just don't know a lot about their depth. I don't know a lot about their their defensive type players. Um, obviously, we all know Caleb Williams. Can he win a back to back Heisman? You know, I would love to say yes because it would be interesting to see. But you look at all these guys that have now tried over the last few years. You know, you go back whether it was Bryce Young, and look, Bryce Young played amazing last year. But the, the, the cards are so stacked against you right? from winning a back, another Heisman because it's just everybody's comparing you to what you did last year. And so I think it would be almost impossible to win another one. But if there's a guy that's going to do it, it's going to be a guy in that type of offense, that Lincoln-Riley offense is going to just put up crazy, stupid numbers and, you know, be, be in a good system and be a good team. So. Um, if, if anybody can do it, I, you know, Caleb Williams is one of them who can, but I still right. would say no, that he's probably not going to win another. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Um, well, Malachi Nelson, he was that big time commit they got too, right? For quarterback. He's a yeah, freshman. The one who's going to replace, they believe replace, uh, replace, uh, Caleb Williams. Right. Right. Um, I tell you who's been a great addition to their team was actually the Memphis transfer from Texas, um, Taj Washington. Yeah. Big speed guy, big speed guy on the outside. Um, can kind of he, he can't just slant and go. I think he had a big touchdown run against Stanford uh last year. But um they it's gonna be you know, they got a lot of speed. I think uh I think USC has a lot of speed on the outside, and I think Caleb Williams he has that ability to run and throw the ball and really throw with some accuracy. So I think, I think USC is going to put up a lot of num- a lot of big numbers this year and a lot of points. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, I think what you said earlier was correct. If you want to beat USC, it, you're going to have to outscore them or they're just going to have to make very uncharacteristic mistakes, kind of like they did in that PAC 12 championship or Utah just, punched them in the mouth, but they made some uncharacteristic mistakes in that game as well. Absolutely. Who was there? So they're there. They had three losses last year, two to Utah and then two lane. Yeah. Two lane in the cotton bowl, which is still yeah. the weirdest loss ever because they were yeah. up huge in that game. Then again, they didn't respect their opponents as much no. as he even I think Caleb Williams, I will say, I think Caleb Williams understood like, hey, this is not going to be a cakewalk. Um, is Caleb a junior or is he a senior this year? He'd be a true junior because he was a freshman in 2021 at Oklahoma. Right. And last year he was a sophomore. So, yeah, yeah that's he's a true junior. Because I was wondering if he had the ability to leave after this year. Yeah, he um, does. And he will because he'll be 1-1. He'll be the first pick. But, but uh, you know, I, I think I'm thinking, so I know um, just going through their schedule. 
Um, I think they're. I think we obviously talked about their. The, you know the Notre Dame game, but uh, it's funny they always play. Let me uh, trying to pull up their full schedule. It's funny how they always seem to play like a San Jose State or even the uh, Nevada. They always seem to play those uh, Mountain West teams, you know. Well, I imagine that. I imagine it's kind of hard to get a team like Troy or somewhere to come out west and play a game, whereas yeah. you, or whereas you can get a team like San Jose State or Nevada to come play you pretty easily. But uh, you're right. Their first one, two, three, four, five, six games is. The, the the back half of their schedule is going to be that's going to be the grind for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Back half of their schedule is an actual schedule. The first six games are basically the preseason for them. If they lose any of the first six, then they're not the team we thought we were. Or Caleb Williams got injured because that stretch at Notre Dame, Utah, at Cal, Washington, at Oregon. That is, I mean, that's a that's a tough stretch too. When I'll tell you that stretch at you at Notre Dame and Utah in back to back weeks, and that's going to be a brutal, brutal stretch. Because yeah, those teams, you know, when you when you think of USC, when under um under uh um Lincoln Riley, well under Lincoln Riley, but under uh uh what's Pete his Carroll. name Pete, Pete Carroll. Carroll, well Pete Carroll. They had that physicality, you know. You believe, you know, USC was that physical team. Lindell White coming in, being the bruiser at running back. Uh, Reggie Bush being your speed guy, but even Reggie Bush having, you know, kind of some the ability to put his shoulder down and have some tough physical runs. I don't think USC. They don't really have that. You know, when you think of USC, you don't really think about you know physicality. But when you think about Notre Dame, you think about Utah. That's what you think about when you when you when you see those two names on your schedule. Definitely with Utah, their Definitely defense, Utah. their defense, you know, their defense. They know how, you know, they play a big three man front. They have a big nose tackle always. So, and they have some speed and some physical corners. So that's always a, a tough matchup for you for for USC or anybody in the Pac twelve. I'll end it on this story. We'll move on to our last topic of the night. I still one of the funniest stories I ever heard Urban Meyer tell. He was at Utah. They were playing Southern Miss in the Liberty Bowl. You said Utah and big nose tacks, and this reminded me of it. They're playing uh, – Utah's playing Southern Miss in the uh, Liberty Bowl, one of Urban's, like, first years at Utah. And he said one of the Southern guys comes and sits down at their table or whatever and said that – you know, Utah had all these Polynesians at the time, and uh, one of the Southern guys sits down and goes, he's just marveling at their size, and he goes, Coach, I'm going to tell you, those are some big-ass Puerto Ricans right there. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Urban tries to, Urban said he tries to start, like, explaining all that. But at the end, he said, the kid just looked confused. He said, you know what, son, you're right. Those are some big-ass Puerto Ricans. Oh, man. But our uh, our last segment of the night, we will do our top ten list. And we'll- oh, so sorry, real quick, USC. Are we going eleven one? Is that what we both kind of agree on? I'm going eleven one. Are they going to make the playoff? I don't know because I want to see who they play in the Pac-12 championship. Okay. But if they go twelve and one, do you think they're in the playoff? 
I do. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think the committee is going to leave USC out. They want that West coast team in there somehow. I agree. I agree. Cause, cause you, you could potentially have a 13, no ban, uh, Georgia and a 12 and one Alabama potentially, or a yeah. 12 and one or a 12 and one LSU, you know, who knows? Um, I think the SEC gets two teams in though this year. I really do. The SEC or the Big Ten ones getting two in. I can go ahead and take. It's either going to be Michigan, Ohio State, and Georgia, or like a Georgia, Alabama, Michigan. Correct. And then that last spot's going to be fought for between Notre Dame, Clemson, USC, Florida State. Uh, Yeah, just teams, you know, like that. And I mean, even maybe a Utah. Could you? Maybe Texas. Yeah, maybe it's Texas back. They're not. I'll go ahead and tell you. But you, maybe a TCU again? I think TCU is going to struggle this year. I really do. Yeah. I think they're going to come back down to earth. Yeah. I think USC is, I think USC, they're, you know, they're kind of in the, I, I think I see USC getting in over on Florida State. That's just me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It depends. The, the question there, and we'll delve into all this later as well, but I think the big question there would be what is the what does the rest of the pack uh, the Pac-12 look like, and what does the rest of the ACC look like? You know, with Pac-12, you got to believe you think you're going to have good teams in Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah. Whereas you look at the ACC, you're going to have Florida State, Clemson, and then who? I think North Carolina's a sleeper. Yeah, but you know, quarterback is Miami back with Cristobal this year, or do you think they struggle again a little bit? I think they're going to struggle because I don't think Tyler Van Dyke's the answer at quarterback. Yeah, that's just my opinion. But Middle Tennessee State put it on them last year. Middle Tennessee State could have named the score of that game. It didn't matter what they said; they could have beat them by thirty, and they did. But Southern Miss gave them a big game, you know. Yeah, they did. They did. And then Florida State beat them, what, 49-3? It was not close. I know that much. In Miami, too, right? Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. So we're both thinking USC's 11-1, potentially having a game away from making the playoff. Now, I think the wrench here is we talk about these two, two teams, two teams, two teams. I think the wrench is Oregon or Washington. If Oregon or Washington or even Utah was to go eleven and one, yeah, you know, or what? Let's say USC is eleven and one, and Oregon is twelve and zero, heading into yeah. the Pac twelve, and Oregon loses. I think that at that point you would say, okay, maybe now the, does the Pac twelve have a chance to have two? Yeah. But as we said, do they have divisions in the Pac-12? Yeah, they do. I couldn't tell you what what they were actually called, but they do. But regardless of that, as we said, we'll we'll talk about that another night. Now we're going to move on to our top ten list of the night, the top okay. ten NBA final performances of all time. And I'll get us kicked off here with – we'll start – Game six of the 03 finals with Tim Duncan. Um, 
big time Timmy Jim goes 21, 20, and 10 in the closeout game of the 03 that, finals. Is that on Ben Wallace? No, because that would have been that would have been against uh, Jay Kidd and the Nets. Oh, the Nets. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that would have been on Kenyon Martin, I believe. Kenyon Martin, yeah. But and again, you know, you and I have talked about it before. Duncan is just such an underappreciated player, just because he was not very flashy. He just kind of worked down there in the low post. He didn't really have that larger than life personality, although he. Honestly, is one of the best basketball players of all time, one of the best post players of all time. Um, people, I, I think people underestimate just how good Tim Duncan was and for just how long he was good. That's right. Because he's, you know, people don't realize how late in his career he played basketball. You know, he was actually, a, was he, a, he was a swimmer for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, because he was uh, and a soccer goalie. Yeah, people people don't re- realize he was not born in the United States. Right, right. I mean, when he got to Wake Forest to play basketball, I think that was only like his second or third year of ever playing. And, you know, he yep. goes 1-1 in the draft. Yep. It's funny. I actually heard the guy that coached him this year at Wake Forest. Uh, Dave, was that Dave Odom? Dave Odom. I actually heard him speak this year. It's funny. Dave Odom's not that, you know, it's just – you don't realize, you know, you're kind of listening to a legend there, you know. Had the vision for a player like Tim Duncan and was able to develop his game, you know. So. I think that – I don't think that's one of those ones you can develop. I think that's like Chuck Daly when he talked about Dennis Rodman. You don't yeah. put a – you don't saddle – you don't put a saddle on the Mustang, buddy. <laughs> but uh, moving on to number nine, Shaq. Game two of the 2000 finals. Yep. All he did was have 40 points, which is great in its own right. And then you realize he had 24 rebounds, which, I mean, you know, nowadays you really see it with Jokic. But I think – and you see how big Shaq is now. I think I don't think people realize Shaq was not always that big. When Shaq was coming out of LSU and even yeah. his first years in the league, he was – he handled the ball. He was slim. Like, he he really was – he played a little point guard. Then That's I right. kind of beefed up at the end. But, I mean, he was unstoppable in L.A. Him and Kobe were just absolutely unstoppable. Yep, and it's funny. As good as Kobe Bryant was, Kobe always had to have that big to win. Obviously, Correct. Shaq helped him win those early uh, 2000s finals. And then Pau Gasol helped him win – that 2011, right? No, 09 and or 09 and 10. Yeah, that's right. 09 and 10. That's right. Yeah, 09 and 10. 07 was the Spurs. 08 was the Celtics. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Shaq just – beat Orlando. Remember, they beat Orlando. Yeah, 09, they beat Orlando. And 10, they beat the Celtics. Celtics, that's right. Who won in 2011 again? Oh, uh – Miami, right? No, no. no, sorry, sorry, Dallas, Dallas. Was it Dallas? I get, I get so. Okay, no, okay, I know what happened. The 9 10 season, and then the 10 11 season, the Lakers won it, and then the 11 12 season, the Mavericks won. Mavericks won it. Yeah, that's yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, you get confused with uh, the two years in basketball, you know? Yeah. So, sorry we got off on a tangent there, but that happens from time to time. So, number eight on the list. Uh, actually, this game, this series is on our list twice. It comes up a little bit later as well. But game seven of the 1988 NBA Finals, James Worthy, the third most famous player on the team behind Magic and Kareem. He, all he does is go 36-16-10 in a game seven to win the finals against the Pistons that year. Um, obviously, that's a controversial series because in game six, Bill Lambeer has the controversial foul on Kareem. Uh, Kareem really nearing the end of his career at that point, but James Worthy, 36-16-10. I think people forget about James Worthy. James yeah. Worthy was one of the best players ever in the game. He was one of the top 75 players of all time. And because of the team he was on, he's kind of forgotten about. Yeah, there's a lot of guys in the NBA that are forgotten about. You know, it's funny. Just uh, I constantly have this Jordan-Michael debate, which – or sorry, this uh, Jordan-LeBron debate, which I understand. But I think there's a lot of guys that get left out of that debate too, you know. Well, there's one big name that gets left out of that debate, Bill Russell. Bill Russell had 11 rings and nine as a player. I mean, what again, what did I text you today? And I'm looking at a 30 and 40 game coming up here in a little bit. It's like I text you today, Bill Russell, NBA champion, 57, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 68, and 69. Like, he had a run where for, what, 12 years he won 10 NBA championships? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's big time. Yeah. And his last two were as a player coach. But, you know, again, James Worthy, you know, in the biggest game, in game seven, where legends are made, he steps up and has a triple-double. Number seven on the list because we couldn't leave – we couldn't have a finals list without this guy on it. Larry Bird. From silent, yeah, silent death as Isaiah Thomas's. uh Step our mother-in-law named Larry's jump shot silent death. The uh 86 finals. That was a lot of people believe the Celtics' best team was in 86. Obviously, then after 86, obviously the tragedy of Lynn Bias there um after that uh finals. The Celtics actually win NBA champion. Yeah, that will be one. I've got two I want to talk about in that episode, but um you know, that was the year the Celtics won the NBA championship and have a second pick. But Larry, in typical Larry fashion, 29, 12, and 11. And you want to talk about players that are kind of forgotten about and just how good they were. Larry Bird can be in that conversation. And I know a lot of people will sit there and say, well, Larry Bird's looked at as one of the best, best shooters of all time. Well, that's right. He's looked at as one of the best shooters of all time. Larry Bird was one of the best basketball players of all time. Rod, do we have to get the story now with uh, um, who Nolan Richard, the Nolan Richard story? That's one of the funniest ones. I almost said Rob Evans, but that's where <laughs> I meant to. I, I was thinking about old Nolan. Nolan, man, Nolan, that's another person we could talk hours about. He's he's kind of an unsung legend in himself, you know. Never forget that story. Bird, bird, bird with the pass, bird. I'm thinking, man, this joker can play. So I pick up the paper the next morning. 
man, this white boy can play. <laughs> Nolan, he's a he's got some stories. I would love to sit around and listen to him. But uh, obviously, the '86 finals. A lot of people look at those '86 finals, and and I think they dis discredit a little bit because the Lakers obviously get beat by the the Rockets in the conference finals that year. Don't make the finals. So, you know, kind of deprived us of having Celtics-Lakers part like – Hakeem on the Rockets then? Yeah, that was Hakeem and Clyde, both on the Rockets. And then, obviously, the same year, 86, there were some pretty big-time performances in those playoffs. Oh, yeah. 86 playoffs were, uh, were a big year. Um, you know, I mean, just – did Bird have in those uh, Michael Jordan playoffs when they won? When they swept them that year? Well, that was 86. That's, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't – Bird had a bunch. I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I'm sure I he had – you know, His performance in that first series kind of gets over overshadowed because of Michael Jordan's play, you know? Well, what's funny is up until three years ago, nobody remembered that Michael Jordan did that in the playoffs. Right. It took the last dance to show that, you know? No, but then now everybody forgets Larry Bird played in those playoffs. But, again, as Larry said in the documentary, it wasn't Michael Jordan out there. It was God disguised as Michael Jordan. So you can kind of understand why people forget about Larry's performances in that series. But, again, the better team won. Right. For sure. So moving on to number six, uh, Isaiah Thomas – Game six of the 1988 NBA Finals. He rolls his ankle. This was about, against L.A. too. Yeah, this is this is in that same series. It's the Worthy, worthy series. Yeah. Rolls his ankle with about nine minutes to go in the um, third quarter. And I just – I don't – a lot of people, basketball people, to this day said they've never seen anything like it. Scores 25 points on a rolled ankle – Severely rolled ankle, hobbling down the court, can barely jump. He scores 25 points in the third quarter. And a single hammer almost takes him to victory. That's ridiculous. It's uh it's one of one of the most the gut a lot of people say it's the gutsiest, one of the gutsiest finals performances of all time. Obviously, I think he ended with 39 or 37 that night, but just to be able to do that, I mean, if you've ever rolled an ankle. It's hard enough to, to move at all, but to run, jump, and cut, and be able, to, be, yeah, be able to be in a defensive game like that. And, like, then having, and playing against that type of talent that was on the floor then. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, number five on the list is the all-time – he holds the finals scoring record to this day. Game five of the 62 finals, Elgin Baylor. 61 and 12. That's ridiculous. You're 61 on Bill Russell? Yeah, you're going to get on the list. You would be higher if game seven of this series did not happen. But uh, Elgin Baylor, and I think we talked about him last week. Um, you know, one of the top 10 players to never win a, never win a finals. Although he technically he has a ring because they gave him one. But you know, a 61 and 12 in a finals, and you lose the finals. So, moving on, number four on the list, and now we get into the finals performances that I think everybody talks about to this day. 
uh, Magic Game 6 of the 80 Finals. Obviously, everybody remembers this. This is Kareem rolls his ankle Game 5. They have to go back to the Forum without Kareem playing in Philadelphia. Magic plays center, and Magic is born. Yeah. Goes off 42-15-7. Funny enough, they had already elected – or. The most of the media had already voted before game or like before game six, and they had voted Kareem the MVP if the Lakers were to win, and all of them changed their votes halfway through. And I think they ended up saying it was a split MVP between Magic and um, Kareem, but most people do say Magic was the MVP of that series. Kareem was from L.A., right? I'm not 100% sure. I know he went to UCLA, but I don't know. It's it's crazy to think that Magic had that success early. You know, you just don't think about 80. Like, he was only, what, four years into the league? Who? Magic. He was a rookie. So that was – so, that yeah, 79. Sorry, 79 was the year. My bad. 79 was the year they played uh, Indiana State. That's right. I mean, Magic was a rookie doing that. Rookie that year. That's right. 19 years old, scoring 42, 15, and 7. Sorry, I was thinking about Indiana going undefeated in 76. My bad. That's yeah. the year. I was I, – I had that I had that year in my head for some reason. Yeah. Indiana went undefeated in 76. Indiana State played Michigan State 79. Um, and then, obviously, uh, Larry Bird versus Magic. Yeah. And uh, Magic Game Six. I mean, the iconic first shot of the game. He takes, he pays homage to Kareem and hits the sky hook. But uh, just a, uh, you know, it's really the the first great Magic performance of a great career for Magic Johnson. One of the best seventy five players of all time. So number three on the list. Game seven of those 62 finals that we just talked about with Elgin Baylor, who scored 61 points. You're thinking, man, you tell me somebody else had a better game that series? Well, let me tell you about Bill Russell. Yeah. In game seven, where legends are made, everybody's always said it, Bill Russell scores 30, which is great in its own right that he scored 30 in game seven and I think held Elgin Baylor to 17. What is crazier is he had 40 rebounds. He had 30 points and 40 rebounds in game seven. That's insane. We think what Nikola Jokic does these days with his 30 and 20 games are awesome, and they are. And in an unrelated note, Stanford now has a uh, sprinkler going off during the middle of the game. So uh, (laughs) that's interesting. Sorry, I just saw that. Apparently, I don't know. That's, uh, That's not good. I don't think that can happen. Coach with some uh, rubber turf uh, on his on his face. <laughs> I tell you, that's just Coach Kansas when Bill Russell was there. What'd you say? Coach Kansas when Bill Russell was there. Bill Russell wasn't ever at Kansas. It was at, he was at, uh, sorry, San you're Francisco. Thinking of, you're thinking of Wilt. Wilt, yeah, Wilt Chamberlain. And I don't know who was that. I, I don't think it was Fog Allen. Yeah, it wasn't Fog. Sorry. But, yeah, so Bill Russell. That's Sorry, Bill was at uh, San Francisco. But uh, 30 and 40 in a, cl- in a game seven, that's, that's elite. It's absolutely elite. And he has 11 rings, by the way. 
But uh, now we get to the top two. And I will say this. Had LeBron won this game, I'd have said it was the greatest final performance of all time. I'd have put it above number one. But he, unfortunately, he lost. 51-8-8. He's actually the only loss on, on this list. But if you watched that game that night, LeBron's best player on the floor. By, well, this is a floor he's sharing with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. He's best player on the floor by a mile. And he yeah. was – he literally carried his team almost single-handedly across the finish line. It's still – I still say it's one of the – in my lifetime that I remember watching, it's the best finals performance I've ever seen. This was a 4-1 game, wasn't it? Was that a 4-1 series? Yeah. The, uh, no, they they straight up swept them. They straight up swept – that's right. That's what I thought. 4-0, yeah. 4-0 them. Yeah. I remember Kevin Durant was going off in Cleveland. Kevin Durant went off in this series. But game one was the LeBron game. He, gets 50, he scores 51. And, I mean, just literally almost drags that team to, to uh, victory in game one. And then J.R. Smith uh, thought they were up one, and they weren't. But number one on the list, and it's not really – you could pick – I posted this on my uh, – story the other day you could pick 800 games from this guy and the, you could just have a top 10 michael performances in the finals list and you'd have enough but um it's it's the flu game now yes we know he didn't actually have the flu but food poisoning game doesn't sound as fun so pizza, pizza got to him yeah as tim grover said it doesn't take five people to deliver a pizza but uh tim grover is a legend Michael battling dehydration, you know, sweating profusely, getting IVs at halftime and before the game, goes out and just drops it on Utah. 38. I think he had I think he had 15 in the fourth quarter and Utah's entire team had 16. That's crazy. I mean, it's just it, and again, it's like we said we can pick a hundred Michael Jordan games because he did it in so many different finals. He yeah. did it so many times. And it's like you and I have talked about, you know, over, over time, you know, I go back to that quote by B.J. Armstrong where he said after 91, Michael stopped, stopped playing basketball. He just figured out ways to win. And I think yeah. that game five is the absolute epitome of that just finding a way to win, to have something in the tank that, you know, I, I'm just going to figure out a way. I, I, I'm, I may sacrifice my body, and I don't know how I'm going to feel at the end of this, but it doesn't really matter because I'm going to win. In the next year, game six, with Scotty having the back problem, you know. When Michael had just carried that team all year. And we could have put that performance, because he has 38 in that game. But I, but I think – well, I think – I think this is a. It, I think this game, in a way, trumps that uh, that game six only because if Michael didn't have the performance that he does with the series tied two two, I think that would might have been the year that the Utah got him. You know, when I think a lot of people believe that, I, I think a lot of people believe Utah's best. Uh, now, I, I think Utah's best chance was still. Um, 98, 
But, you know, it would have been hard to say, you know, if Michael doesn't play, Utah's got a little bit of momentum there. And so, again, it's Michael being Michael. He figured out a way in his worst shape he could ever be in, he figured out a way to win. And so that will always be number one in my mind. Unless Jimmy Butler goes and he has like a 60-40-40 game tomorrow night, then I may put that on top of the list. But I don't okay, see that. I have, you know, his game, uh, his game three might be on here. Well, yeah. Look, Jimmy, look, Jimmy has some uh Jimmy has some playoff moments. I, I very nearly put the either of the two uh bubble performances on there because he had right. some great games in those finals bubbles. I like our list though. I think it covers kind of a good, you know, variety of different eras, you know. Correct. Correct. Some different names in there that people don't really know about and some performances they don't really know about. Um, but uh, we'll have to talk about the uh, Wilt Chamberlain 100-point game soon, too. Absolutely. And so tonight, as we end, I will end you with the best th- – I will end this. We have a sponsor tonight, Ra. Who is sponsoring our uh, podcast tonight? Uh, we didn't have one tonight. I didn't get any calls. Sorry. That's terrible. I guess I could say Zalot Pizza. I got a pizza earlier. That's pretty good. Blue raspberry body armor. There you go. Not a huge body armor fan. But uh, the best, as we end tonight, I will hit you with the best thing I saw today. And if you haven't gone and watched it, go do it. It is the end of the RBC Canadian Open as I didn't see it. You had to Nick show it. Taylor, Nick Taylor hits a 72-foot putt to Nick Taylor, a Canadian, hits a 72-foot putt to win the Canadian Open. And in the celebration, Adam Hadwin, a fellow Canadian tour player, runs on the green with a bottle of champagne, and he uh, gets tackled by a security guard, which is, honest to God, one of the funniest things you've ever seen, as all the other Canadian tour players had to run over and take the security guard off of him. But don't worry, folks. In typical Canadian fashion, he apologized to the security (laughs) guard for getting tackled. That was awesome. But that have time to play that real quick, Rob. Uh, I don't know if it'll show up. Well, the viewers. Well, we don't have any viewers because we're not doing video, but <laughs> in the future, though. The, oh, yeah, the picture's just great. <laughs> He's getting held down by the security guards, but that is a <laughs> <laughs> tackle right there about that's a pretty guard. good form tackle i think the canadian leagues might be uh, recruiting some guys tonight but, but that was the uh the best thing i saw today because it was absolutely awesome but that will uh that'll end the show tonight we will talk to you again probably tuesday night or wednesday night and we'll probably be wrapping up the nba finals and may talk a little bit of the draft That's right. You've been listening to Riding the Pine with Lefty and the Coach. We'll see you next time. We didn't have any connection issues tonight, so the podcast came through good. So good on us. Even with the storms. (laughs) Listen, uh, I guess we'll uh, tell our followers to join. Tune in next time, right, Rob? Absolutely. Everybody tune in next time. Leave us a five-star review. I don't even care if you say I hate these two guys. Just rate it five stars. See you all later.